And we welcome you to another installment of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. He is J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. I'm Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network. It's the 141st edition of this podcast. It's one of the rare times we've done two in a week. Uh, obviously, with the, uh, the news bomb dropped at the beginning of the week, we wanted to get that in there uh, and immediately... And, and comment on that. And we'll revisit that. But also, we, we continue our, our litany of good guests on college football. And, and another guy that I've had the pleasure of, of working with, with ESPN, Barrett Jones, who uh, started off in, in TV land because he's got the chops for it. I mean, the man, he's just a clean cut guy next door. Uh, clearly a guy that if The Rock ever uh, retires, he's your next action star in film. But uh, now he's doing National Game of the Week work on ESPN radio. So he's divorced from me, and I know he misses me every day. Barrett Jones, former All American. National champion at Alabama. We don't have enough time to get all your accolades in. How are you, sir? Well, what's up, Mike? How are we doing? I, I appreciate uh, being on, and mostly I appreciate that the rock compliment. That is, yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm willing to eat enough cod. That man, he all he eats all the time is just fish, you know, to get those abs working. So, is that what he does? Yeah, it's Why? apparently the the rock diet. So, I don't, I don't know if I'm willing to put in that kind of work. Yeah, I do appreciate it. I'm glad to be on the show. I think you'd be a better actor, quite frankly. Um, but that's that's just me. I can't say that I'm a huge fan. Uh, and say hello to J.C. Sherber. We're, we're coming full circle because this guy actually covered your recruiting at a high school. So it's like, this is your life. Welcome back into the family, J.C. Sherbert. Yeah. J.C. is the only reason I even got offered by Alabama. So just... Uh, <laughs> and, oh, no, uh, yeah. Another... I probably would have gone to MTSU if not for J.C. So. Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah, that was good. I think um, I think talent and footwork, I remember... Uh, I got a pretty good memory. You went to the Columbia, Missouri Nike camp. It's the only time I've ever been to Como, by the way. And uh, we wrote something up and just really good footwork. And I think Alabama had already – you may have been committed by then. But, uh, yeah, it, I always thought it was good. You were part of a great class, too, that 08 class. Really blended with the people Shula let over and uh, left over. And away you guys went, huh, with Nick Saban and uh, that group with uh, Marcel Darius and um, Julio Jones and – uh, all those great players in that Mark kind of Ingram, Dante yeah. Hightower. We had a Shoot. bunch of them. Yeah, it was unbelievable. It was, it was, a, it was a good crew. You and Dante were the two from Tennessee. Tennessee. Dante That's Hightower, right. people don't know this. He was from this small town in central Tennessee, right south of Nashville. So that was a, that was a heck of a class, one of the best ones I think I've ever covered. So. You know, and, and on that note, guys, it's easy to look at this now and say, well, well clearly, Barrett, I mean, going to Alabama is a no-brainer. But this is before Nick Saban built the dynasty that he built. Like, this is you, – you were still – Alabama is Alabama, yes, but remember, Alabama was coming off of Mike Shula, Mike Price for a few weeks, uh, Dennis Franchone, who left Alabama for A&M, um, Mike DuBose. I, I mean, it wasn't exactly like Alabama was a slam dunk for, for a good recruit. So what did you – two-part question. Obviously, you were happy to go there. But what was your real realistic expectation once you got there? And when did you realize, oh, my goodness, like this is even going to exceed anything that I could have imagined because Nick Saban is that damn good? <laughs> well, it's a good question. And I, I was, you're right, first of all. And I always like to remind people of that. The, 
uh, my junior year, Alabama went six and seven with Mike Shula, and my senior year with Nick Saban, uh, they went seven and six. So, uh, and lost to Louisiana Monroe. So it mm-hmm. wasn't like an instant success. Like I knew uh, we were already this dominant program. Uh, I, you know, it, it's it's really hard to put a, a finger on it and sum it up into words. I'll just say this: that I'll never forget the first night. Uh, Nick Saban, soon after he signed, he came to my house and we came over for dinner. We had lasagna, sat down, and he pitched for me the process. Uh, so it's become a cliche almost, but he told me about uh, you know, what he believed in and why he thought that Alabama was going to be successful. And he just asked me if I wanted to be a part of it. Uh, and I didn't commit right there on the spot. I probably could have, but uh, I, it was, uh, I just remember thinking, Everyone else has told me similar things, but when he told me, I believed him. I really thought we were going to have a chance to win. I liked the way that he operated. I knew that he would make me better as a coach. So, you know, there's a lot of factors. Um, I could talk about Nick Saban for, you know, I might write a book on him. Who knows? Maybe someday I will. Hmm. Uh, But he's an amazing guy. And uh, I don't think, if I'm being honest, I remember thinking when I went there, maybe by the time, you know, I'm a junior, we'll be able to compete for a national championship. That was my thought. Uh, and then, you know, I redshirted my first year. We got pretty close. We went undefeated in the regular season, lost to Florida. And then my first year as a starter in 2009, we ended up winning the national championship against Texas. So it was uh, – and we won two more after that. We won three in four years that I played. So pretty crazy. And uh, I never would have anticipated that kind of success. I don't think anyone who, who acts like they knew they were going to win three national championships in four years – I think they'd be lying, but it, it was a, a great time to be there. And it, it was a lot of fun to, to build something. You know, I think anytime you talk to a business owner or uh, any person, you know, it's fun to build. It's fun to be able to, to kind of be there while you're constructing, uh, you know, that and, and to be a part of that. And we had a really special group, JC, you mentioned that earlier, uh, not only of, of players, but of people uh, that were really excited. And I, I didn't think that's part of it. It was that, you know, there was a little bit of faith going there that everyone sort of bought into this vision of what Alabama would be able to become. And everyone was really excited about that. Um, And so, yeah, it was, it was unbelievable. It still kind of feels like a dream sometimes because it all uh, kind of runs together. It was such a blur. You know, I think it's one of those things in life where if I'm being honest, I'm really glad I did it. I don't know if I'd do it again uh, because man, it was, it was a lot of hard work and uh, a lot of blood sweat. And it definitely took some years off my, uh, you know, L4, L5 discs, (laughs) my vertebrae, uh, who knows, you know, my body, but, uh, it, man, it was a lot of fun and, and had a lot of good memories from it. I, I'm looking the, the people listening to this podcast, they can't see this, but we all see each other in, in our little, uh, office backdrops. You have a real job on top of broadcasting. Uh, you're making people money in wealth management circles and whatnot. So, uh, give Barrett a call if you want to make a lot of money. Um, but we can also see some of your, your Alabama frame posters. I mentioned some of your accolades. How many rings do you have between national championships, SEC championships, I guess bowl games give you a ring. How many rings did you collect in your time at Bama? It's kind of funny. I, well, I have, uh, I have eight official rings. And uh, the reason is because the BCS used to give you a ring when you won. The okay. Right. And then you had the school ring and then you had SEC championship ring. Now the, the reason I have eight and not nine is because in 2011, we actually did not win the SEC. I want to ask you about the nine, six uh, game against LSU. Of course you lose it. Then you get a chance to redeem yourselves uh, in, in the title game. But so many people were critical of that nine, six game. And of course, a lot of them just had SEC fatigue anyway, 
So it gave them an excuse to tee off in the Southeastern Conference. It's not great defense. It's just bad offense. Um, but I think that that game stands out even today because it's so unique because every game we have now, it's just offense, 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 defenses are uh, almost helpless against the modern day offense. What do you remember most about that game? Well, it's probably the most hype I've ever been around. Um, definitely a regular season game. I mean, honestly, it rivaled some of the national championships with the hype of just the game of the century. It was dubbed that before it even happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, incredible. Even when you look back on that game, the amount of NFL players in that game. I mean, I, I don't, someone counted up and did a still shot one time I saw, and it was just about, you know, every guy on both sides of the ball ended up playing the NFL in, in some capacity. And so, um, you know, it, it was, uh, it was definitely a slugfest. I mean, defensively LSU was awesome. They had a lot of really good players on that side of the ball. And, uh, Teron Matthew was probably the one that's, uh, the, the most well-known, but there was a bunch of other really good dudes, Patrick Peterson and, uh, Michael Brockers inside. And I mean, they were, they were loaded. Um, but yeah, it, it you know, we played really, really well between the thirties. Uh, and then we just couldn't find a way to execute down, once we got past the 30 yard line, we made some key mistakes and we missed a lot of long field goals. So it was a, it was a, a fun game to play in. It was not fun to lose. I actually got a high ankle sprain in that game in the third quarter. So most of my memories uh, past the third quarter, I stayed in the rest of the game were, uh, were pretty blurry um, because I was uh, in a lot of pain and I had some medical assistance to finish. <laughs> uh, toughness was not lacking in the case of Barrett Jones, uh, really throughout your five years in Tuscaloosa. And again, you go on to win the, the Natty, uh, one of like eight rings you accumulated uh, over your time playing football with the Tide. One thing I really enjoyed about working with you is, for those that don't know in TV, uh, as compared to uh, when you do some of these national radio games, I don't know if you still do this. I never did it when I did uh, radio, but for TV, we do it all the time. We go uh, on campus and and talk with coaches and then actually uh, can go in the film room and go over film. And I remember just sitting with you and you would just break down offensive line play. Then you would pop quiz me. So I had, I had to learn I had to tap into the brain uh, of Barrett Jones by learning some concepts of, of O-line. But I thought it was fascinating because, I, I mean, honestly, it's a, it's a position I, I, I don't pretend to know much about. Um, and and I, I find myself looking at certain things now that I didn't before you and I worked together. And I guess my question, my, my first question on it is, how is O-line play changing? Because we know the game is changing. We know offenses are changing. The style of play is changing. How about O-line play in general compared to when you played and in 2021? Well, first of all, Mike, I'm trying to, you know, I'm, I'm instead of giving a man a fish, I'm trying to teach a man to fish. <laughs> Don't you know how to break it down? I appreciate uh, that. Yes. Inevitably lose me. Um, <laughs> well, uh, you know, it's definitely changing. First of all, I would say that the thing that's probably changing the most is not necessarily something offensive line wise, but it's just the speed of the game. Mm-hmm. And the game has changed a lot. Um, you know, there's, there is probably, a little less in some ways chess that goes down now at the line of scrimmage uh, because of how fast everyone goes, you know, in the old days, offensive line wise, you kind of called a play and then you had to make adjustments to try to make that play work based on what the defenses were lined up in. And now, you know, everything has such an RPO attachment to it. Uh, you know, that, that instead, if the play doesn't look good, the run play, then you just raise up and, you know, either throw a slant or you throw a bubble screen out to the edge. That's, that's different. Uh, that, that really, makes life a lot different for offensive linemen. The other one's pretty obvious, 
uh, and that is that you just throw it a lot more, you know, than you used to. And amazing, even when you mentioned that nine to six game, and you talk about how many two and three tight end sets we had in that game, uh, how much football has changed since then? Mm-hmm. Defenses have changed. You know, that's another part of, of why offensive line play has changed. Is you don't see a whole lot of three hundred and fifty pound nose guards anymore. You know, they they can't keep up in those kind of uh, in those kind of offensive systems. You know, and you really don't see a whole lot of three down linemen in general anymore. You see way more four down because everyone has, you know, five to six defensive backs on the field pretty much at all times. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's definitely different, but I will say this. Um, when you turn on the film, uh, the same things still win. I think Alabama, uh, the, you know, I'm, since I'm a homer, uh, the, the year was a great example. This is not an ESPN program, so I can just be, you know, I can be, I can be genuine here. Sure. Uh, you know, they, they were unbelievable this year at getting movement and blowing guys off the ball. And yes, it looks different. Formationally, it's different. But there's still a lot of the same similarities of what's important. And so uh, I think that the good teams in college football still understand that, you know, and, and that there are some offenses now that don't focus as much on the run game and they almost just kind of run to set up the pass. Uh, but I think the great offenses in college football still understand the value of the run game and the value of getting movement at the line of scrimmage and how much freedom that can uh, give you as a play caller to really set up everything else you're doing when, when you put the, especially the linebackers and safeties and that kind of bind. And so while it has changed the same things, uh, you know, still win. The assumption is from, you know, again, novices like me that look at O O line play in the simplest of terms. We, we just assume that you guys much prefer to run block impose your will on the defense, drive somebody into the ground versus the pressure of having to formulate a pocket and and try to block especially if you're on the edge and you're trying to uh, block some guy who runs a four three eight from getting around you for four quarters is that still true or, or can you find more pleasure in some systems when you're pass blocking as well no uh, it's almost universally true with almost any lineman you talk to because they love run blocking i mean you think logically uh if i you know asked you to let a 260 pound man you know, get a, a four four full steps and try to run you over playing left tackle, uh, you know, where he could go out and attack him uh, before he could really get his ahead of steam. And that's a pretty easy decision, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's a lot more fun to, to kind of bring the fight to them. And certainly uh, 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 a buddy of mine, uh, Cole Kublik, always says pass protection is not passive. That's definitely true. Uh, you don't want to be passive in pass protection, but still inherently you're not going to be able to really tee off on people quite as much. So, Absolutely, as an O lineman, uh, you know you still love run blocking. Maybe the one exception for me uh, was probably when I was playing center. Uh, in general, playing center is probably a little easier in the pass game uh, than the run game. Uh, you know, there's a lot going on uh, before the snap as a center, but in a, in a four down set, you know, you almost always have some help there. So I probably maybe when a pass was called, I was a little more excited versus a run when you have a, that big nose guard right over top of you back in my day, that wasn't as much fun right. game to have a, you know, a, a Terrence Cody, or that's who I went up against a lot in practice or Jesse mm-hmm. was the other guy I blocked a lot, uh, you know, versus a, when you had a pass against those guys. So all in all though, uh, O-lineman to be a great O-lineman, you got to have a little nasty in you, you know I mean? Yeah. You're, I, I know I seem like maybe I have a polished exterior, Mike, but yeah, I got a little nasty in me. And uh, you know, you got to have that, if you want to be a great lineman, because yeah. you know, the reality is there's more glory in it than there used to be, but there's still comparatively other positions. Yeah. You know, there's not a lot of glory in it. You think about how, what other sport there is out there 
that you can literally play the sport your entire life and never touch the football. I mean, it's mm-hmm. never touch the main object, right? The ball. I mean, that's, that's a wild concept. Uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of kids you see in the backyard, uh, you know, that are going out there and, and doing mock offensive lineman drills, right? I mean, right. you know, people go out and they toss the pigskin around. So, yeah, I mean, you know, when you get a chance to tee off on somebody, that's part of the joy of, of being a no lineman. And, of course, you play for Alabama, so you didn't even get a chance to uh, recover many fumbles because you guys didn't, didn't turn it over much. Um, I, this is the, the, the thing I get from coaches in the SEC and players the most when you talk about the difference between the Southeastern Conference and the other leagues more than anything else. Because the Big Ten does have speed. I mean, it, it's not the thick ankle league it used to be. Ohio State certainly has guys who can run. Uh, Michigan has guys who can run. There's great quarterbacks in, in every conference in college football. Just watch the draft. They're not all SEC guys going in the first round. But what I always hear is what separates the SEC from the other leagues is D-line, the, the guys that you went up against for all those years at Alabama. And you got to play plenty of quality teams out of the SEC uh, outside of the conference, so you could contrast a little bit. Is it that big a difference between what you saw week in, week out in the SEC versus those D-lines versus the other leagues? Absolutely. It was a huge difference, and I would have said that if you had asked me that question. I think uh, not only – I would say that probably the defensive line, normally when you when you play a good team from another conference, a lot of times they would have you know one or two guys that were of that caliber – but the thing about the SEC defensively is the depth. There's just such an incredible depth of defensive linemen uh, where they're just rolling guys in and out, and you know you just have those high-caliber players uh, for at least the really good teams you know, on the, the two deeps as well. And when you have that uh, and they're constantly rolling a new fresh guy in there that's really talented, that's really, really tough as an offensive lineman. You know, I mean, I'd just like to, to say there's one thing that people don't pay attention to enough is the fact that offensive linemen, uh, you know, usually the fattest guys in the field, other than the quarterback, like we're the only position that doesn't come out of the game. I mean, the deep line, they get to run a few plays and get to go to the sideline, drink some, mm-hmm. games, you know, get their stats flashed up. I mean, we're in there the whole game grinding, you know, and even the quarterback, like half the plays is just handing it off, you know. So, I mean, like the offensive linemen are about the only position that actually plays all the snaps, you know, maybe mm-hmm. a corner, a good corner or something, but pretty much even a goal line, you take the corners out, you know, so we're about it. We, we play the whole game. We deserve some credit for that. So we, you know, give the, give the big ugly some love. Hey, we're, I, I'm like, uh, I'm like Fletch, you know, hug a cop. Yeah. I said it. I'm, I'm with you. Give, give O-Lyman credit for being better athletes than they are portrayed as uh, he is Barrett Jones. I've got one. All, it's all ball bearings. these days. It's all ball bearings. These days. Look at that. You're, you're catching eighties movies references and uh, you're the youngest guy on this podcast. I'm floored right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, two, two Fletch references in 30 I, seconds. You know, this is, this is, uh, this is what I miss about Barrett uh, working in the same booth. I knew put it up, put it on the under hills you know put it on the underhill account yeah <laughs> <laughs> my car just hit a water buffalo can i borrow it <laughs> uh one one nerdy question and then we'll get into the the nit and gritty of sec and who do you like and who's got the best line and all that good stuff um i i i'm admittedly i'm kind of a, a football nerd when it comes to you know x's and o's like i i enjoy watching film and doing that stuff that that you uh that you would you would break down as you were teaching me how to how to catch a fish um rpos i i I think you and i might have had this discussion years ago the difference between rpos and why they're so effective in college versus the pro game the rule is different right for an offensive lineman how many yards down the field they can go 
versus college versus NFL. I mean, why is that play so popular in the college game? And and can we do something to maybe change it? Because it almost seems like defenses are, it's almost impossible to defend when you've got enough talent and you're running it the right way. I agree. It certainly has changed everything about play calling in college football. And, you know, it's been around now for uh, probably close to 10 years, maybe plus in some corners of the earth, but it's, for the last five, it's been everywhere. And it's a, if you're not using an RPO right now uh, as a main core part of your offense, then you're missing out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're not taking full advantage of, of the rules. And so you're right. And I need to brush up on the exact yards. But I, I know in the NFL, I think it's only one one or two yards that you're able to get down the field before they call a legal man downfield. Whereas mm-hmm. uh, in college football, it is different. Um, it's like three or four yards, maybe three to five yards. I need to look it up exactly. But you have more of a distance. You're able to get downfield, you know. And, and essentially, what they're telling offensive linemen now, or they're not—they're not telling these guys at all what the play is. They're just literally calling the run play, and they're actually just running it. And so, and furthermore, in college football, if you're engaged with a defender, you can drive them as far down the field as you want to, right? So that's that's what they tell guys now: is you know, engage that linebacker quickly and continue running your feed, and even if you get 12 yards down the field. It doesn't matter because you're engaged with somebody. So mm-hmm. much different. I mean, honestly, it is impossible. I mean, the only way, essentially, the, the only way you can try to stop it uh, is, you. first of all, you have to play man-to-man coverage. I mean, you have to have guys. That's why, you know, corners, safeties, nickel corners, which is kind of a newer thing really in the uh, in college football. But you have to have a starter-level player that plays that, that extra third cornerback position um, are so important because – you know, you're not going to be able to zone it up. It, you're not going to have to, uh, you're not going to, and then you're, you have to be able to stop the run with, you know, six or seven in the box, whatever the, the, the equal count is. You can't bring that extra guy down. Or if you do, uh, you're going to hit with slants all day. So it's very, very tough on defenses. Uh, there's very, very few guys um, out there that can cover the best teams, you know, man to man all across the board. Um, you know, we saw that in the national championship game, even with a team, like you said, with the speed of Ohio state, uh, but then you go out and you're facing Devonte Smith and John Betchy, uh, you know, and, uh, Jalen Waddle, and you have a great offensive line and Najee Harris. Like you can't match up man to man with all those guys. It's no. just possible. Uh, and Steve Sarkeesian knew that and took full advantage. So, uh, yeah, it, it's really, really hard. And I do, I would not want to be a defensive coach right now, but also the standards have changed. Like that's the bizarre thing to me is, you know, when I was at Alabama, literally it was like the goal, I think, uh, for the season was like averaging 13 points or less, you know, and nobody does that now. I mean, you, you mm-hmm. can't, uh, nobody, you can't, I mean, maybe you could, it'd be very, very difficult to hold uh, teams to 13 or less just with the way the rules are right now and with the way the speed of the game is and the number of plays. You think naturally, you know, you multiply just a mathematical equation. If in the old days, you know, you ran – uh, you know, 50 plays or you average 50 plays a game and you averaged, uh, you know, 30 points, then, well, now if you're running 75 plays, well, you should score 1.5 times as many points. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Running Absolutely. 50 extra plays. So it, it definitely has changed a lot. Uh, and I would not want to be a defensive mind right now. I'm glad I'm an offensive guy. It, it's mm-hmm. definitely made the game more fun. By the way, it's on purpose. Don't think they don't know it's happening. I mean, like, they get it. They it's exciting. They they understand the ratings. They go back every year and they see the games people watched, and they realize that people like those fifty to forty games. Even if football guys don't like it, uh, general population fans like it. Ad revenue likes it, and so they say, "Hey, this isn't all bad. We have a lot more people watching these games when they're high scoring. 
uh, I think that we'll keep it this way. Look, I can be as old school as the next guy, and I and I love watching classic games and learning about the history of our sport. But I'm sorry, I watch a, an SEC game on the SEC Network from like 1983 compared to what we have today, and it's night and day. It's much more entertaining now. It just is. Uh, with all respect to the fullbacks of the world who have now become like the dinosaurs and the dodo birds, um, I, I don't need to see triple option. And, and I do want to see higher scoring games, not the first team, the 14 wins. It's, it's great when, like I said, your 9-6 game, that was an aberration. So it was refreshing. But if that was the norm, my goodness, you can't tell me the sport would be as, uh, as popular. I, I digress. JC, fire away. All right. So a lot of our audience uh, is based in South Carolina. And um, since this is still in the history books, uh, and it is the last time Alabama lost to an SEC East team. What do you remember about that day in 2010 that you came to williams Bryce Stadium and uh, you guys uh, didn't have a chance to – you didn't win the game? I know um, where he's going with this because we just, talked about it. I just take our – because we do. We have a big chunk because Mike and I obviously have some connections to that market. And I, I think they'd love to hear because we don't hear about it from an Alabama perspective too much. It's, you know, always Coach Spurrier or Marcus Lattimore or somebody talking about it. So what, what did you think that day at Williams-Brice? First of all, how dare you? I mean, I come on. <laughs> oh, come on, man. Do you remember? Barrett, do you remember? My worst moments. Barrett, Barrett didn't know this. Barrett didn't know this was coming, but we did a game at South Carolina a few years ago. Alyssa Lang was our sideline reporter. Speaking of South Carolina connections, and, and I told our producer, "Let's get some some what we call B roll, some old footage of that game." So we rolled it in, and Barrett didn't know it was coming. And Barrett's like, "Oh, geez, thanks for bringing me back to one of my worst memories as a player, Mike." But I know you remember Sandstorm. You, that that song has been in your head ever since, right? Literally, I, I wake up in a cold sweat at least once a month, you know, <laughs> in my head playing. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, where is it? Where, where, where's Ellis Johnson going to bring the blitz from? Uh, yeah. That was, uh, he was the defensive coordinator those days. And uh, he had a masterful plan. He had a great plan for us. Look, they had an unbelievable day that day. Steven Garcia had the game of his life. I think any South Carolina fan would tell you that. Mm. Marcus Lattimore, you had, uh, you had Alshon Jeffrey. I mean, they had some good players on that team. Uh, and then defensively, they just confused us a little bit. They were moving all over the place, running around everywhere, giving us a lot of unusual looks that we'd never seen on film before. And it threw us off just enough. So, uh, but Marcus Lattimore dominated the game. They, I don't know, can't remember the stats and time possession and all that, but we had a tough time getting the football away from him because he just grounded it out. Uh, and that I, I remember our, our guys saying, uh, that's the best running back we've ever faced from a different team, uh, Marcus Lattimore, after that day. And they, they all – were extremely complimentary of him and thought he was going to be uh, an all pro type dude for a long time. And I think, I think he probably would have been if he hadn't gotten injured. So uh, let's not forget how awesome he was, but that was a, that was a dark day. I, don't, I can't remember what the streak was, but we had, had not lost a game in a while because all 2009 we were undefeated and going into that game, we were six or seven and zero or something. Yeah. Came back against Arkansas the week before out in Fayetteville. I remember watching. We did. We did. Ryan Mallett, we had to we had to come back and beat those guys. Look, we were getting sloppy. Like behind the scenes, you know, it, it's hard. It, like I said earlier, it's, it's fun to build. It's not as fun to maintain, you know. And behind the scenes, we got a little complacent. We had a lot of guys who had incredible years in 09 and they were kind of sophomore type dudes. And uh, they were going pro the next year. And we just, they were all good guys. We just didn't have the same kind of chemistry we had in 2010. By far our most talented team I was ever on. Most yeah. talented. 
uh, uh, 2010 stacked roster. We just I, rem- I remember that team. Yeah, we're not as good as a team, and uh, you know, but hey, we used it as fuel for our fire to win two in a row after that. So yeah, you know, no doubt. Easier. Uh, you know, when I wake up to sandstorm and a cold sweat, I remind them, <laughs> hey, you won two more national championships after it. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That, that 2010 Bama team, you know, they went to, I remember that that was very talented. They had the blade of grass game in Baton Rouge and lost. And then that comeback against Auburn was obviously not a good memory either. In addition to South Carolina. But I remember at the end of the year, you guys, uh, Played in the Citrus Bowl against Saban's old team, and I remember that game being like sixty-three to seven. So it was it was about the end of the year at the, at the bowl game. You guys really put yeah. That, Kirk Cousins uh, yeah. uh, wanted wanted no part of that day, right there. That was uh, that was that was kind of a, was, the, a muscle flex. No, I'll never forget in that game the Citrus Bowl. First of all, by far our most fun bowl game we ever had. Like bowl games when you play a national championship, like you know all these other teams do all this fun stuff. Like no, not us. We were over there grinding. And like having extended film sessions, Coach Sam was like, "You can celebrate when you're old." Like we're we're playing a national championship, but now we go to Orlando, Citrus Bowl, Michigan State. We knew we were going to kill them. We, you know, we practiced in the mornings and go to Disney afternoons. It was awesome. Uh, but I'll never forget uh, the only time I've ever seen it. Uh, they punted on fourth and goal. They had first and goal from like yard line, and they ended up punting. So uh, that was the kind of day it was for Michigan State. You know, and I know we're on limited time, so I just, I'll just, this will be more of a statement than a question before we get into some SEC projections. But to go back to that, the South Carolina game, uh, and I know you grew up in Tennessee, and, and uh, Steve Spurrier has kind of spots all over the map because he grew up in Johnson City. Uh, so a lot of Tennessee fans are familiar with him, and obviously Florida fans are, and Duke fans, and, and South Carolina fans. But uh, 20 years from now, you're going to look back at that game. Uh, and say I played with I played for the greatest coach of all time and went against one of the great I, for my money those are in my era again I wasn't alive for Bear Bryant Steve Spurrier and and Nick Saban are two of the best minds I've ever seen in college football and you had a chance to play for one and go against another that's no doubt pretty very different cool. personalities one oh yeah more, one played a lot more golf than the other. Yeah, that's that's that is for certain. I don't. I Nick does smile. I'm told. Um, he does, but it, it's when, just only he smiles one time a day. Right. Uh, as soon as uh, it's during practice every day. Once the media leaves. That's yeah. All right. I know we got limited time, so let me give you quick hitters. Uh, who wins the SEC? Get get the homer out. Well, just Alabama just until further notice. I mean, look. I mean, you could say Georgia. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not totally sold on JT Daniels as much as maybe some are. Mm-hmm. I think he's got a chance to be really good. Right. I'm just not sure I've seen enough to, to kind of crown him as the guy. And like Alabama's got a ton of, de- of talent come back, especially on defense. I think Alabama mm-hmm. has the best defense in the country, uh, maybe more of a defensive team this year, uh, you know, relatively in this modern era. Um, but look, it's just hard to pick against him right now because I still think. It, it's you know smaller, but there, there's still a, a decent talent gap there, in my opinion, uh, with Alabama and the other teams. All right, so Alabama in the West, Georgia in the East. Alabama wins the SEC. Chalk per per usual. Sorry, I wish I could say something cool. No, look, and, you know, it, sexy. It, it, I say this all the time on the podcast. Like college football has become insanely predictable. We love it, but let's face it: at the top, it's become a little stale, which is why all this change that's coming down the pike, I think, is is actually going to be a good thing for college football. Three years from now, who do you think will be the biggest challenge to Alabama in the West? Is it A&M? Is it LSU? Is it Auburn? 
Yeah, I'm going to say A&M. Uh, now, I would, I've been saying that for a while before, uh, you know, everything that's going on now. It might be Oklahoma or Texas. Who, yeah. Because <laughs> this is a, a side. I, I, I think that uh, Texas and Oklahoma will play SEC games in 2022. I don't buy it. I do too. Five thing. I don't know. You know, I get that's when the contract ends, but yeah, this whole thing's going to blow up and they'll be playing games next year. So I think it's all about the change, but still A&M uh, look, the amount of money, the facilities, mm-hmm. I think it's a, a big deal. Jimbo Fisher. Uh, he's, he's still a good coach. He's one of the only few, by the way, if you ever want a good trivia question, ask someone who the active coaches are that have won national championships. There's not very many. There's not as right. many. And Jimbo Fisher is one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I'm going to go with them. I, I think they're a quarterback away last year from, you know, being uh, a true threat to Alabama. They had a really foster a season ago. Yeah, I think I think Haynes King has a higher ceiling than Kellen Mond, uh, quite frankly, ever did. Um, top offensive line this year in the SEC. Now, this is where I've heard some diversity of opinion. You could go Kentucky, who is building a reputation there. You could go A&M, even though they lost a lot of starters. Some people believe Kenyon Green might be the best offensive lineman in the league. Uh, you could go maybe Georgia. Uh trying to think who else would be a prime candidate i don't know it's you tough. Tell me. Look, kentucky is definitely the most proven there's no doubt right. i mean they have the most proven commodities i mean a&m kenyon green i voted him a first team all-american last year yeah I'm, I'm a huge fan of kenyon green i think he's an awesome player can't wait to see what he's capable of but they did lose a lot you know sure. i think they've got a lot behind it you know alabama they had an incredible offensive line last year but lost three great starters they'll have two quality guys coming back mm-hmm. so i mean honestly Kentucky is, you know, probably the easiest answer because they have a lot coming back. Mm-hmm. A&M and Alabama have a lot of talented dudes, yeah. uh, you know, behind they're ready to step in. So, you know, I, I think one of the stats in football that's the most overblown is returning starters. Like, uh, you know, it's it, it can be important, but you know, I always laugh when they're like, okay, this was the thirteenth best defense in the league last year, and <laughs> they got ten guys coming back. I'm right. like, sure, that's a good thing. But but do you buy into the argument? What I hear about old line when people because most of us don't know how to grade old line units, right? So what a lot of what has become the the, the fashionable thing to do is go how many comp, uh, total starts do they have? So is it a cohesive unit? Is it an experienced unit? And that will trump the five star uh, line or the line full of five star four star kids that have started very few games. Do you buy into well, that? And that's the tricky part is because the answer is who knows? I mean sometimes. Uh, it, you know, it is true that the most talented offensive line is the best unit. And other times, it's not the truth that you have got. I've seen some super talented units that were not great offensive lines. You know, so mm-hmm. just it, it's kind of both. And right. you have, have talented guys, and you have to mesh well as a group. And uh, also, the reality, especially with the top teams, is, and with the way football is now in the off season, it really doesn't matter who the best offensive line is going into the season. All that matters is who the best offensive line is at the end of the season. And a lot of times that those are very different answers because you're right. Sometimes the experience does play a part early on by the end of the year, the way those guys have grown and meshed as a unit, there's a lot of variation there. Yeah. I I think Kentucky is the example of that. While they have had guys drafted, they're not chock full of first round picks, but they always seem to have a a group that's been together for a while. Uh, Barrett, I'm sad to say we're not together for a while. We had a nice two years in the TV booth and you were kind enough to take time here. You're going to be rocking and rolling again on the ESPN national game of the week. You don't know your first game yet, right? You think it could be a pretty big one. 
I'm pretty sure. I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know. Yeah, the rules are always changing, but I have a feeling we might be in Charlotte. That's the okay. Word. Yeah, I, I I'll, I'll say it for you. Uh, good good chance you're you're going to see the Georgia Clemson game, which would be outstanding. Barrett, I know you got to get to your other job, make people a lot of money. You want to plug your business while you're on here? If somebody's ready to make a lot of money, or is somebody ready? No. Uh, sure. Okay. I, I'm, Go ahead. I'm still trying to get you as a client, Mike. I mean, as client, I'm working my way up. I, I, in this next contract, it's, it's a contract year. When I renegotiate, my agent will try to get me enough to where That's I big can time. call Bear Jones and say, okay, make me 5% on this. I have a $10 minimum. So <laughs> good. Cause I got at least a hundred that I'm ready to throw your way. What, what, how do people get a hold of you if they, if they, if they got to invest some, some cash and resources? Well, yeah, just, you, you can look me up online. Uh, yeah. I'll pop up. My company's name is Strategic Financial Partners. So it's been, it's been a fun, fun journey. Been here about five years now, enjoying it. Awesome. Well, I, I, again, I know you do a great job with that, like everything else. We look forward to hearing you on the radio. Barrett, so much for, uh, thank you so much for taking out the time. We hope we can um, do this again sometime soon. Thanks a lot, Mike and JC. Appreciate it. Y'all having me on. All right. See you, Barrett. Hey, folks, mortgage rates have dipped to their lowest levels in recent history. And with home values up in many areas, now may be the perfect time to refinance your home. Whether you're looking to lower your monthly payments, free up cash for home improvements, or just pay off your home faster, a quick call to the one and only Stuart Wingo of Ameris Bank could save you money. If you're looking for competitive rates and exceptional service, call Stuart Wingo, 803-319-1777. That's 803-319-1777. You will save money just like I have so many times over the years. You can also visit him, amerisbank.com slash Stuart Wingo. Stuart Wingo, the man with the plan for all your mortgage needs. Founders is offering a low-rate mortgage with up to 4000 in closing costs to full-time hospital employees, honoring your frontline efforts against COVID-19. With no PMI, no origination fee, and no limit on the loan amount, you can't go wrong. Visit founders.com slash HEC and apply for your hospital employee choice mortgage today. Membership qualification required. Terms and conditions apply. Institution NMLS identifier number 410646. Founders is an equal housing lender and is federally insured by the NCUA. Once again, really enjoyed our conversation with Barrett Jones, former Alabama All-American national champion, and now with ESPN Radio. Um, again, I, 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 I tell myself, I remind myself of this every day, how blessed I am not only to do what I love, and this is what I've always wanted to do, uh, broadcasting uh, games at, on a on a national level and and uh, and three sports that I love, but it's the people that I get to work with and I learn so much from. And I can honestly say I learned a lot in the two years I worked with Barrett Jones on the SEC Network. And uh, again, he gets to do the great thing about going from TV to radio. I know sometimes TV uh, is portrayed in, in a more glamorous light. Uh, and I'm, again, I, I, I love doing both. So I can say this with a little bit of uh, background behind it is that every game now is on TV. Okay. So it, it's, it's crowded space. We're all fighting for the, for the windows and you know, the good news is for you fans, every, every time your team goes out there, you could bet your bottom dollar. It's going to be on some form of television. But for radio, there's only a few games that are broadcasted nationally every week. So, they get an outstanding game. He's probably going to have Georgia Clemson in week one. But, I mean, throughout the schedule, you look at the top games in the country, and Barrett Jones gets to be at those games and do it on radio. So that is the, the benefit 
you don't get a telestrator on radio. I know he misses the telly, but you do get everything else. Yeah, yeah I was just going to mention last year, um, you know, had the pandemic, you know, everybody started at different times and uh, I was actually having a tailgate in the front yard, nice. <laughs> usually in the back. Yeah. Um, but Notre Dame was playing and um, I just, I, I cranked up the truck I turned on the Notre Dame radio network and uh, listened to them, listened to this, the broadcast and uh, brought back a lot of memories. It, it was, it was, you know, I'm going to watch the games on TV, obviously, but uh, sometimes taking those moments and, and, and catching a good radio broadcast, whether you're going to the store to get more beer or just out in your front yard one day, you know, while half the t- country's not even playing, uh, it's a good experience. People should check that out. Because and, it, and that's, you know, that, yeah. You just mentioned ninety percent of the of the audience. People driving in their cars. It's people with headsets on. Uh, you know, doing work around the. You know, cutting the grass, whatever. So there's always going to be a market for that. I, I hope we never get away from that entirely. And the skill level. Um, again, the play by play guy talks more because you got to paint the picture on radio. The analyst has to talk less. So you've got to be really efficient because we tell our guys if you're doing a game on radio, the moment they break the huddle, if they have a huddle. You got to be out. And then if they're running tempo, you really got to be quick because you got to let the play by play guys set up the play just a little bit before the snap happens. So that is uh, uh, an even more difficult task for the analyst. Barrett Jones, you, you heard us talk about it. He's a guy who can make you a lot of money. I'll tell you a guy who could save you a lot of money. That's Stuart Wingo of Ameris Bank. 803-319-1777. Again, I've known Stuart for 15 years, and he has helped people like myself, friends and family, and listeners to this podcast and, and shows I've done in the past. Again, I wouldn't speak on behalf of just anybody when it comes to a mortgage because that is a huge huge investment and you want to make sure you're dealing with somebody you can trust who's going to do you right and of course most importantly is going to save you money on a new mortgage or a refi this is the only thing Stuart does and he does it well and the number i give you that's his cell that is a direct line tell him mike and jc sent you 803-319-1777 that might be the most important number that you write down the rest of the year. All right, JC, the most important thing that is going to affect the SEC has already happened this year. Uh, We checked in with everybody earlier this week. So here's what, just to give an update, and I've been scrolling through my uh, Twitter at Morgan on air at JC Sherbert as, as we've been doing this just to make sure nothing has changed. But as we record this, we are expecting the SEC uh, presidents, chancellors, what have you, to give a unanimous vote. You only needed 11 of the 14. But Texas A&M, the one school that you would think would have an issue with adding Texas for obvious reasons, uh, it sounds like you know they know the deal. They're not going to win out on this. Why, why cast a vote of... Uh, dispersion if that's the right word uh why not just go ahead and play ball here so uh it looks like it's going to be 14-0 if if maybe there's a dissenting vote somewhere else uh that's the the word i was Mm. meaning to use dissension not dispersion um but i I, if there's a vote of dissension maybe it comes from somewhere i'm not thinking of jc but even if they did it's 13 to 1 instead of 4 it doesn't matter it's it's happening folks this is happening and as barrett mentioned i believe it's happening sooner rather than later uh, i think now with the um I'm clean up the language here the urinating contest that the big 12 commissioner just 
fired off against ESPN and the SEC that this is now going to happen sooner than, rather than later. I, I know the analogy has been made already. Like if, if you know you're going through a divorce and your spouse has gotten caught having an affair, uh, but you know, you need some time to find a new house. You don't want to be sleeping under the same roof with that person. You want to get the hell out of Dodge. Ooh, How in yeah. the world could you have three, four years of Oklahoma and Texas in the big 12? Uh, the big 12 could try to hold their feet to the fire out of spite. Um, but I, I, there's going to be a negotiation. I have to believe and then, of course, now you've got a situation. This, this, we knew this would happen. This is going to open up the Pandora's box, where everybody is playing defense on one end and offense on the other. So the American sees opportunity. The Big Twelve schools see insecurity. Uh, the Big Ten, the Pac-12, the ACC are all. Everybody's in play. The only conference that's going to be able to sleep well here pretty soon is the SEC. Everybody else is on. To use one of our old terms. From the hit classic cult movie War Games, they're all on DEFCON one. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. Um, and ESPN, you know, I know, look, I, uh, there's some national media people out there that don't really like the SEC, and you know, a couple of them just don't really like the South, in my opinion. And some of them went to schools that are not in the SEC, and that shines through sometimes. But it was funny yesterday, you know, when the Big Twelve sent that letter and it got public. You know, and then everybody's like, oh, oh, gosh, you know, shots fired. Oh, my God, send some lawyer. Oh, they're going to get it now. And I'm sitting here thinking logically, Mike, look, so let's just say by chance, you know, we're playing a game of who has probably got their ducks in a row. All right. And let's look at the Walt Disney Company. <laughs> And the I South saw East, your tweet. You tweeted Southeast, this, right? Yeah, I tweeted yeah. this. Southeastern Conference, Walt Disney Company, or the Big 12. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, what, yeah, it's like, uh, all right, well, well, whatever, dude. You know, I mean, it just, you know, it, it just I'm going to get really mad about this. And I'm going to send a nasty letter. Nog, you know, there's nothing they can do. Not a thing. Um, I would be, now look. I say that I don't know that for sure. Um, maybe someone somewhere up the food chain somewhere screwed up, and there, there's some evidence of legal jeopardy or whatever. But the only people talk about they they don't want to they they don't they don't want to have to depose all the presidents and the athletic directors and the coaches and and I'm like it's never going to get that far, man. I mean, it, you know. It, 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 the, at some point, if you're facing litigation, you, you just uh, you know. Those two entities, Southeastern Conference, ESPN, Disney, uh, and the University of Texas, University of Oklahoma, they have the resources to make it go away. They have the resources to make this podcast go away, Mike. I mean, you know, <laughs> it, 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 it's just like you're just like, wow, you know what? And, and look, I, a lot of these little nasty letters or, or regular or official letters and stuff, since the story broke, it's 100% been kabuki theater, in my opinion, because mm -hmm. uh, it, it's like – Oh, well, we, we just decided that we weren't going to renew our grant of rights, so we better send a letter and say we're going to enter the SEC in 2025. Oh, well, thank you very much, sir. We appreciate that. Blah, 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 blah. You know, and if you notice, everything's very carefully worded. Everything's very like, you know, we were going to fulfill our contract and all that, and there's a reason for that. And I think Bob Bowlesley, who it kind of stinks because the Big 12's had 
you know, some guys, Dan Beebe and some guys like that, that people are like, huh, we don't know about this guy as a commissioner. I thought Bullsby's doing a heck of a job, really. Mm-hmm. Um, in in, like, in, a, in a, a nearly impossible situation. And I feel, I feel bad for him. The Pac-12 could have used him, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's not Bob Bullsby's fault that the, the big no. – you had to kowtow to two programs the entire time, both financially and in every other way, just to keep it alive. But that should have been your first clue that this was not built to last. <laughs> And I'll go back to this before people say, oh, come on, Mike, it is about the money. Don't say it's not all about the money. Of course, I know they're going to make more money in time in the SEC. But I guarantee you, in the last in, in the seven playoff years, if Oklahoma made five and Texas made five playoffs and they each won a national title, those two programs and their fan bases would not give up that path to, to glory for an extra $10 million a year. It would not be worth it to them. They have more money than God. What they need is more success, and they're not getting it in the Big 12. So when it ain't working, you have a choice. Do you keep going down and spinning your wheels, or do you pivot and try something different? And the timing was ripe, and that is why forward-thinking people like Greg Sankey saw a window, the SEC saw a window, ESPN saw a window, and this happens. And now you you can cry over spilt milk, but it's just not going to change anything. Um, this is this just came out, JC, as we're recording this. Mm. This is a response from Burke Mangus of ESPN. For those who don't know that name, he is one of the higher-ups, one of the highest-ups when it comes to uh, college athletics on, on ESPN and acquisitions of properties, et cetera, et cetera. He's, 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 a, big, he's a big dog. Let's put it that way. Uh, it's addressed to Robert Bowlesby, Commissioner, Big 12 Conference. Dear Bob, this responds to your letter dated July 28th, 2021. The accusations you have made are entirely without merit. Apart from a single vague allegation that ESPN has been, quote, actively engaged in discussions with at least one other unnamed conference, which ESPN disputes, your letter consists of entirely unsubstantiated speculation and legal conclusions. To be clear, ESPN has engaged in no wrongful conduct, and there is nothing to, quote, cease and desist. We trust this will put the matter to rest. ESPN reserves all rights and remedies in connection with this matter. Wow. <laughs> I mean, you know, to, to, to use your term, kabuki theater, that's cutting to the chase. They're yeah, not that's straight up. About that's straight up. Let me just tell you something right now. I'm not playing a game of semantics with you. You just fired a salvo. Here's what we got back. You've lost your two premier properties, and other schools are going to be looking to jump as well. Deal with it. Yeah, I mean, and, 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 and how many SPN and all that? I'm, I'm kind of feeling the same way. I'm like, you know, all right, fine. You want to mess with us? We are never going to deal with the Big 12 as an entity again. And then mass panic. You know, unless Fox steps in and saves Dave, but you know, you gotta you gotta talk about value and stuff like that. You know, um, and, and so then schools are gonna start to say, "Oh my God!" You know, what's gonna what's gonna happen? Oh my God! Oh, we best ESPN's mad. Oh my God! You know, and, and so then, well, who are they not mad at? The American. Hey, let's go there. Let's go there. All right, good, good, good. That's a good idea. Let's go there. All right. How cool would it be? Many many years after Baylor and Texas Tech and Oklahoma State and. 
you know, all those schools left poor SMU and the dust um, in Houston. They wouldn't let Houston in, you know, and they wouldn't expand and all. Uh, now they've got to come, you know, helmets in hand and join the American Conference, <laughs> which I think would be a heck of a conference, just to be honest. I well, mean, because at that point, the American's no longer the American. The American nah. is a Power Five league, and the mm-hmm. Big 12 ceases to exist. Everything that Mike Oresco has been telling people, and I give Mike Oresco credit because he's nothing if he's not consistent. He's been banging the drum. It's a power six and we are the six, but we all know better. I mean, there's a line of demarcation between power five and the group five, but if he's able to pull this off uh, and, and basically put, remove the big 12, as we know it from the map, then they are power five. Then they, they, then they are, they have that seat at the table. Uh, and they already have major markets. If you just added a few more programs and you've got a great contract in place with ESPN. So you already have a TV deal. Unlike all the other group five conferences that just kind of, uh, you know, they scramble to get on TV or Facebook or anything else they can do. Um, the Americans already got the best uh, package of any group five by far when it comes to media rights. So uh, the, I would give anything to be a fly on the wall to Mike Oresco's phone. Bob Bowlesby's phone, West Virginia's phone, the Texas schools remaining in the Big 12's phone, <laughs> <laughs> some of the California schools in the Pac 12's phone, uh, Notre Dame's phone. I mean, as you and I are just kind of sitting and rapping back and forth very casually about all this, it is frantic. It, it is fire drill type stuff going on for so many people in power right now in college football. You can't even imagine. And we're all just waiting on pins and needles to see what is the next shoe that's going to drop. Yeah, you know, look, you're right. The markets for the uh, the American are, are, are big: Orlando, Cincinnati, Tampa, Memphis, Houston, Philadelphia, New Orleans. Uh, you know, but it's it's also not a situation like we had with Conference USA a few years ago, in a conference that like stretches from. What was it? Las Cruces, New Mexico, to uh, down in Boca Raton. I mean, it, it still is basically the eastern part of the country. I want to. I want you to consider this, though, Mike. And I don't. I sort of think Kansas is going to end up in the Big Ten, uh, and I sort of think that uh, West Virginia, the ACC, will do the right thing and invite them. Uh, and I think Iowa State will probably end up in the Big Ten too. That said, let's play a what if game and say that you know Kansas and Kansas State join you know, the rest of the Texas schools uh, and come into this league. Uh, you know, football is going to be power five again. You know, there's not a dominant program, but there's a lot of good programs, programs with potential and programs that have been there. Think about this basketball conference, though, man. <laughs> You're going to have Memphis. You're going to have Houston, who was in the final four last year. You're going to have Baylor, the national champions. You're going to have Texas Tech, the runner-up two years ago. You're going to have Cincinnati, you're going to have Temple, who, you know, has been solid over the years. You're going to have Wichita State. You're going to have Oklahoma State. Uh, and you're going to have Kansas State. That's a heck of a basketball league, in my opinion. I think the American, in a lot of ways, already is a good basketball league. But you're, you're talking about adding Kansas and the, the national champs and the national runners-up to your league. You know, that, that, that may be the third or fourth best basketball league in the country. So, um I wouldn't mind seeing it happen. I like Mike Oresco. I, I didn't like Central Florida claiming a football national title. 
But I like Michael Resco. Yeah, that um, got old in a hurry. And I'll add this before expansion. We'll get to NIL real quick. I, I you know, everybody's talking about the ACC, right? Notre Dame. And, and I think it's pretty clear they're going to go to Notre Dame and, and, and you may end up with a situation like you have in the Big 12 where Notre Dame gets to call a shot, keep its TV money, all this good stuff. I don't know if it'll happen or not. Um, I think Notre Dame's still kind of holding out there. That There's no compelling reason for them to really get a football conference. Um, so if Notre Dame says no, here's what I'm doing. I'm like, okay, this deal, the TV deal for all sports is up in 2036. In 2036, you know, you got to go join the Big East and every other sport you're out. Bye. Um, okay. So, you know, bye. That's it. I'd end the relationship. It's like the guy that waits on the or the girl that waits on the guy to marry her, all this the whole like, nah, 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 oh my God. And then finally one day she puts his, puts his stuff out on the lawn, he's out. So that, that would be my thing. All right, you're in or you're out. And then I'm still going to invite West Virginia. And then I'm going to go make a shrewd move, Mike. I'm inviting Central Florida to the ACC. And I'm going to tell you what it's a commuter school. But it is the largest school student body-wise with all the commuters and online people, 72,000 students, <laughs> brand-new football stadium. Uh, unlike some commuter schools, they do have a passionate fan base. It is a new fan base. It's a young fan base. They're in a good TV market. You have to think if you move them into a big-time conference, it's going to get in their blood. And over time, I'm, this is the long game, over time – UCF, when you're talking about eyeballs, subscribers for streaming, uh, you know, cable TV, uh, I guess. Cable TV is much more about footprint, but, you know, viewership, ratings, uh, atmosphere, do they belong, recruiting footprint, all that. UCF can turn into a gold mine, in my opinion. It won't happen right away. But if I'm the ACC and Notre Dame says, no, I'm not going and trying to poach Penn State or – you know, I don't think Pitt State would go anyway. You know, I'm not I'm not sitting there trying to mess around with an East Carolina or Cincinnati. I'm going straight to Orlando. I'm inviting UCF and and it and it's it's like planting a little tree. You know, that hmm. little tree is going to grow. Uh and you know, everybody's always looking for the next big splash in college athletics. Nobody wants to play the long game in college athletics anymore. That's where that's the way society is. But if um if I'm the ACC commissioner, and I forget his name, he, Jim Phillips, he came from yep. Northwestern. Uh, that's 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 the direction I'm going. If Notre Dame says no, and I'm ending this dysfunctional half in half out thing, even mm-hmm. if I have to wait 15 years with the Irish. What about West Virginia? Did you mention yeah. getting them? Um, you got so you got 14 teams for football. You're going to have to get an even right. number. I think West Virginia should be in regardless. Ideally, that league adds West Virginia and Notre Dame. And again, you know, West Virginia got squeezed out because it was about, you know, cable television numbers and footprint. And and then people were talking academics, which is preposterous because they added Louisville. Um, That times have changed. It's about brand. West Virginia University is one of the top 30 winningest programs in the history of college football. I found out the other day, they've got tradition. You, you also, when you're packaging content for subscription and streaming sales and stuff like that, you're going to be much more excited to see the passion uh, of a West Virginia, Virginia. Those two schools hate each other. You know, remember Marcus Vick flicked off the Mountaineer fans. I mean, they're going to be burning couches. It's going to be great. You're much more interested in that than watching West Virginia travel to Manhattan, Kansas on a Friday uh, yeah, for, for, for some game. 
That's never been a good fit. Um, West Virginia has been in the abyss in the Big 12. It, it's It's been an awkward, clunky uh, fit. But again, the Big 12, when they lost everything they lost, they wisely added TCU. That made sense. Here, here's I remember sitting and, and having a conversation with Tom Jurich, former Louisville AD, uh, AD. And obviously he's not there anymore, but boy, he had it rolling. When Bobby Petrino was his football coach and Rick Petino was his basketball coach and their baseball program was going to the World Series every other year, mm. uh, Tom Jurich said, he said, well, Mike, I guess we're good enough for the Big 12 now, huh? Because if you remember, the Big 12 said no to Louisville before they joined the ACC. Louisville was ready, hat in hand, please take us. And the Big 12, and this is not, this predates Bob Bowlesby, so this is not a Bowlesby uh, slam at all. Uh, the Big 12 said, nah, nah, we, we can do better. So you think about it. The Big 12 turned down Louisville, turned down Cincinnati, turned down UCF, turned down Memphis, turned down Boise State. Uh, the Big 12 could have had all of these programs and, and could have been on much more solid ground where even had they lost Texas and Oklahoma, they'd still be okay right now. Obviously, it would hurt. It would sting. You'd be guaranteed to be number five in the Power Five, but you'd still, you wouldn't be fighting for your, uh, your survival, which is what's going on right now. So yeah, and I can't help have- but think of that. If they have to survive too, Mike, in the Big Twelve, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm making BYU. People don't understand this either. BYU has a big national fan following. And again, it's not about the Provo, Utah t- cable television market anymore. It's about brand and 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 content and all that. And I know a little something about that because that you know, I've been selling subscription. Uh, premium content on the internet for 16 years. <laughs> you know, uh, that, that's kind of how it goes. Uh, back to West Virginia, I, I, I stand corrected. Uh, here are the uh, FBS programs that have won more games than West Virginia, Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, Texas, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, Nebraska, Penn State, Tennessee, USC, Georgia, LSU, Auburn, and Clemson. They're 21st in total wins, but there's a lot of Yales and Harvards and these guys in there. So mm-hmm. take one, two, three, four, five. Take Wittenberg out six. Um, they're 15th in FBS all time in total wins. I mean, we don't think about that. But West Virginia football did play for the 1988 National Championship with Don Nealon and Major Harris. Major and, Harris. And one of the most – and now I think, I think it was Andy Staples – uh, in his mailbag on the athletic had something what was that loss to Pitt uh, back in 07, one of the most costly losses uh, in the history of college football, because had they won it all, because I think that West Virginia team matches up well against that Ohio state team speed wise that LSU ended up beating. That Who was year. the quarterback again? Pat White. Uh, Pat White. Yeah, and um, and then they had a red, a running back that was really good. I mean, they, and they ran that zone read all day with yeah. Rich Rod and <laughs> Uh, in fact, they they I think they they went to the some bowl and, and uh, beat they beat Oklahoma pretty good out in the, the Fiesta Bowl that year. But look, I uh, that was costly. But 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 West Virginia to me, if you're looking to add uh, brands uh, and imp- improve your football portfolio, because the ACC really doesn't take a backseat to anybody in any other sport. West Virginia has a top 15 all-time program. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with you on the brand aspect. I do know the conferences very much look at TV footprint. And sure. Because, you know, what's, 
with the calculation that you make, and this is the calculation that they had to make with adding Texas and Oklahoma, but it's still made it a no-brainer. Remember, even if you make more TV revenue because you add two programs, you're dividing the pie into two more slices. Mm-hmm. So all the other schools care about is, okay, well, when that, when, that's, when that pie is divided up, if I'm making, well, for example, in the Big 12, you make 37. In the SEC, in a few years, you're going to make close to $70 million a year in media rights. That's before that's, that doesn't include tickets, donations, nothing. That's just media. 70 million a year per school. So I don't want to go from 70 and then cut it up two more slices to 58, but they've done the calculations that they're going to go from 70 and who knows, it could be 75, 80, 90. If you add West Virginia and the ACC, I don't know when you add that extra slice of pie, do you get that money back cuz you don't you're not you're not adding any major TV markets. Like Oklahoma has Oklahoma City, and now you basically rule Texas with both A&M and Austin. These are the things that conferences think about. Yeah. This, is, this is why when the SEC added A&M in Missouri, and a lot of people are like, why are we adding A&M in Missouri? Be, because they look at that map now. You've all seen it on on the media on the internet, right? Now, the, the the map of what the SEC is going to look like, and what you've essentially done is you've expanded. You're not just the Southeast Conference; you're the Southeast plus Southwest, with a little bit of Heartland in there with Missouri as well. And you've got all of that territory. It's a, it's like a game of risk. You rolled the dice and you moved your army into Madagascar or whatever the heck else. Uh, you played risk as a kid, right? You, sure. You yeah. Pieces of plastic and you, you know, it's global domination. Now, now to that point, I got to just say this. I know we're running short on time. Um, there's a lot of a lot of stuff out there that I don't think is remotely true. First of all, I don't think this destroys college football. There's a lot of people waxing poet, and and m- many of these people already hated the SEC, right? Uh, and some of them hate college football. You know, they, they, well, that too. They'll, I mean, they'll wax poetic about European league soccer and then right, talk about right. college football being exploitive and all. I mean, right, like, oh, exactly. The same people that told you college football, you know, they they were very sanctimonious, telling you it shouldn't be played during a pandemic. And I refuse to believe it's going to work. And you watch, it's going to fail. Well, it went off pretty well. 69 out of 71 SEC games played. National championship playoff, SEC championship, uh, conference championship games went off without a hitch. Uh, so much for for that whole uh, diatribe that you guys were forced to read and listen to throughout much of the offseason last year. Um, I, I, don't think that, I, I don't think that this is – it's not turning into the NFL overnight – um, I don't believe all these conferences are going to merge with like even Jay Bill has said the ACC should pick up the phone and call the SEC to merge. My guess here, the SEC, if they picked up the phone and got that phone call would say, thank you, but no, thank you. <laughs> uh, I mean, well, but Carolina plays Clemson and Florida plays Florida state. Guess what? They're still going to play, but they're not going to do so within the same conference. The ACC and the SEC are not merging anytime soon. I don't believe that for uh, at all. Could the Big 12, Pac-12, could the Pac-12, Big 10, could the American Big 12, all that's in play. I don't think the SEC, ACC is in play. I don't think we're just now going to take, you know, completely this is the NFL model and we're going to have 16 teams in the playoff. They're only going to have 32 teams competing. And uh, Pump the brakes on the sky is falling talk. 
that hasn't happened, and that is not on the precipice of happening. All this is is the SEC, the most dominating league, getting a little more dominating, and other leagues are going to have to adjust accordingly. And the Big 12, obviously, is in trouble. That's where we are. Some of this other stuff is overly tr- Let me One last point. Nobody had this story except for the gentleman, was it the Houston Chronicle, J.C.? Yes. Yeah. Anybody who says they knew this was coming, but they were just sitting on the story, you lie. There are a lot of tremendous reporters out there. They had no idea this was coming. This is the brilliance of Greg Sankey and the people that orchestrated this deal because they somehow kept it very, very secret. And we were all floored by the news. If we're being honest, we were all floored. We've all heard rumors and speculation. Nobody knew this was going to happen. Okay. Uh, so that being said, now that it has happened, you don't need to say, okay, well, I missed out on that story. Well, therefore, I'm going to project this is going to happen. I'll be the first one to get that. I see a lot of that. I see a lot of like personal redemption. I didn't break this story, but I'm going to be the first one to throw my, my crazy whacked out theory that this is going to happen in college football and I'll be able to put my name to it. It's not going to be that dramatic. It's going to change like everything else in college sports is changing right now with NIL and everything else expanded playoff, but it's that you're not, we're not going to lose everything that was good with college football just because Texas and Oklahoma are going to the SEC. That is a gross overstatement. I'm sorry. Is it going to be different? Yes. Might your team uh, find things more challenging? Yes. But we're not ruining college football with these two transactions. I'll leave the floor with that. JC, I know you have a final thought on NIL. Yeah, I, I think this. I think you know a couple things with the portal and, and, and NIL and all that. For first and foremost, you know there are, and I'll go back to the super conference thing. I will say this: there is a scenario out there. Mark, if Mark Schleybaugh hadn't quoted somebody that said it, I would, I would put, I would lend no credence to it. But Mark's got some sources, and I, and I believe he talks to some people that know. And, and the, his source mentioned they may go to a 32-team Super League, so, sort of like the NFL, and break off from everything else. I think if that happens, it could kill college football. And I was talking to Josh Pate, my friend, yesterday. It's going to kill it for a lot of people. Uh, and, and Josh was like, what happened to being six and three and you're playing your border rival and you're jacked on Saturday because it's a huge game and there's a sell and everybody's it's now all about who's in the 14 playoff, all that, you know, part of what made college football special was the fact that, Hey, you know, we're not going to win the national championship, but you know, we can win eight. That's a good year go to a bowl or whatever. All right. So that would be bad, but, but, but I digress. Part of this NIL thing people are saying, and, and there's been a lot of anecdotal stories because, again, the national sports media, college football media, uh, they love this because it, it kind of reinforces their narrative uh, when they go in and say things like, this kid's getting seven figures, oh, my God, um, and all this other stuff, which is in turn pushes this thing where, you know, okay, college football teams are going to be full of millionaires. That's completely untrue, completely untrue completely untrue uh no booster in the country i don't care if they're billionaires is going to sit there and fork out or or a group of boosters 85 million dollars a year 
for a college football team to have players. And if they do, it's going to blow up in their face. Um, uh, you know, so that's not going to happen. So people are scared and concerned, especially even, even programs like Clemson that are, you know, class of college football right now. Uh, it's a smaller fan base. You know, Clemson does not have the, the number, the sheer number of fans that say a Texas does or an Ohio state or a Notre Dame. Um, so there's some concern you, you, that people are just going to be straight up buying players with these NIL deals. I don't think that's the case. And, and I think too, people are freaking out a little bit because, you know, you, you see a five-star quarterback going to Ohio state that already has before he enrolls uh, a seven figure deal. And you're like, Whoa, a guy at Alabama hadn't really taken many snaps, seven figure deal. And you start thinking there's going to buy up all the five stars. Well, well, let me tell you this. You got to play a little money ball here, right? Number one, there's 32 five stars a year. They bust right now at 40%. You start making these guys millionaires at 17 or 18 years old. Here's reality. You know, we're, this is not Xbox, Mike. This is real life. Football is a violent, tough, physically taxing, potentially for a long time. We just heard Barrett Jones talk about it. Game, right? A lot of these guys are chasing NFL dollars, education, whatever. So, so, so you get to college, you know, you're a millionaire already. What is your incentive to put your body through it? Um, some guys are going to want to do it just because they love the game, and, and but not everybody's wired that way. Not all players are wired that way. So that bust rate's going to go to 60%, 70% with those 32 that the big boys are, are doing. It. And there's really – Honest to God, who's worth a million dollars? I've covered recruiting 16 years. Adrian Peterson was worth that to sign him. Um, I think Nick Chubb, Tory Gurley, some of those backs – sorry, Todd Todd Gurley. Uh, some of those backs Georgia signed. Um, of course, Todd Gurley wasn't the highest rated back in that class. Clowney. Uh, Joe Debbie and Clowney was worth that for South Carolina. I think if you're talking about South Carolina, Marcus Lattimore was worth that. If you look at, you know, he was worth two more wins in an SEC East title. Mm-hmm. So that's invaluable. Marcus Lattimore was. We just talked about that. Trevor Lawrence is worth that. Okay. Deshaun Watson was worth that. Uh, Tim Tebow probably was Vince worth Young. that. Vince Young absolutely was worth that. Reggie Bush. Reggie and Bush and, and poor, sure. they won't get poor Reggie's husband back now. Crazy. But, uh, mm. you know, the guys like that, but, but if you look at the normal average recruiting year, a lot of times, Mike, your number one players are guys like, oh, Byron Cowart, Jimmy Clausen. <laughs> um, you know, Miles Garrett, I think, was a number one, was a number one pick and a number one player. Was Miles Garrett worth a million dollars to A&M to sign? I don't, I don't think so, even though he was great. Market value, he, he did not make a million dollars worth of impact for the Aggies. And, you know, it makes everybody excited. And what people don't realize, too, people are like, well, the rankings don't matter. The coaches will decide who they want, and then we'll go from there. <laughs> Maybe, depending on who your coach is, but – you let a coach uh, get word to a big-time swashbuckling booster from oil country out in Texas and be like, man, we need a million dollars to go sign this kid. He's the number 102nd-ranked player in the country. He's going to be like, hell no. <laughs> I can't I can't, all, I can't. can't brag to my buddies about this because there is ego involved with this. So, you know, I've spent a lot of time saying recruiting rankings, taking with a grain of salt, whatever, but now – 
uh, just from a perception standpoint, they're going to matter because these guys are going to want to get instant gratification for their investment. And so what's going to happen is this. You're going to see good programs, and I'm not including Alabama and Clemson in this at all because those are culture programs. I'm talking about programs over the years that you've seen recruiting the top ten, and they, you know, and they're five and seven a couple of years later, and you're like, where'd all that talent go? Uh, entitlement can kill a program. And I think if they're not careful, some of these folks with throwing this money around, foot, and this is not basketball, this is football. Football's an 85 man roster, you know, 85 scholarship guys. You got to play with 44 to be good. Between 35 and 44, you know, you got to have 22, you know. Um, you, you're going to have some guys that just straight up bust out because they, they don't want to go through it anymore. You're going to waste a bunch of money. Meanwhile, a, a middle-of-the-pack program or whoever, uh, a smart program that's already a blue blood that's not going, to, not going to get in the bidding war, they're going to take their NIL money that the boosters have provided for them, and they're going to look at that middle of the you know, still blue-chip players, but that top 75 to 125 or whatever, and they're going to say, you know what? We can cut a deal with 10 guys that are blue-chip players for hundred grand each, uh, instead of paying Johnny quarterback a million bucks or getting into a bidding war with Texas or Texas A&M or whoever. Um, and if you do that over time, uh, eventually whose roster is better? The guy, the folks that signed 10 blue chippers. I'm not talking about going and signing, you know, guys that aren't in the top 100 or whatever. But if you sit there and bid on a handful of five stars and you let your opponents go, you can have those guys. That's fine. And in football, you chance to bust out anyway. We're going to make this a more all-encompassing thing, and we're going to go sign 10 sort of, you know, non-ego guys. Uh, I guarantee you, you're going to have programs that, that come out a lot better with all this that are maybe worried about it, and then you're going to have programs that are going to see uh, the downfall, and they're going to be sitting there wondering, well, why do we spend all this money? Why do we spend all this money? What happened? Because people don't understand that you are not in this sport. You are not automatically good. There are very, let me say, there are very few people that could just step in and do it. You still have to work. You still have to work. And the incentive to work is going to be dramatically diminished. If we're dealing with 17 year old millionaires, it's tough enough for 17 year olds to work, Mike, 17 year old millionaires, uh, that's a cold, totally different story. So I, 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 I just wanted to say that for people out there that uh, are concerned that like a handful of programs are going to start buying guys, um, and they may. But th- that's probably good news for the folks that are trying to either, you know, like a Florida trying to get over the hump, like, a, you know, that program or, or somebody like that, because, you know, some of these guys are going to fall your way you know, you let Dan Mullen go just find a quarterback and, you know, you take, you're all of a sudden recruiting better um, than, than the guy up the road that uh, wants to get involved with these bidding wars. It's very interesting. The creativity of the deals already, you've got a, a, a trading card company, which when you think about it, it's like, yeah, we could have done this a long time ago. Of course, the video game, the college football video game that should have been done years ago. Um, some of these are just so simple that you're like, why couldn't have we had just done this a while ago? Um, 
again, I, I've, I've never been against NIL, and I, I think it's a lot of ways it's exciting, but I still do believe it's, it's a compliance nightmare. And I, and I think one last thought on everything that's going down, I think part of the long game for Greg Sankey and, and leagues like the SEC is to get so big and so powerful that you can truly say, bye-bye NCAA. You left us with a big pile of you-know-what at the front door because you did nothing other than file a frivolous lawsuit to stop NIL. Meanwhile, because you wasted the Supreme Court's time with it, I think they almost overreached to try to pave the way for true pay-for-play which is that we're one lawsuit away from possibly getting there where you're going to schools can pay guys a salary. Uh, I, I think you're just, you're getting to the point where the NCAA is going to be null and void in big time college uh, athletics and your and conferences are going to find their own governing bodies to provide uh, discipline and sanctions uh, and their own investigational units. You know, obviously the money is there where they can do that in house. And think about this. I, I don't want to. This is a whole other can of worms. But you could essentially, you could essentially say, uh, NCAA, we don't need you to run our basketball tournament. And if you did that, that's mm. that's about a half a billion dollars a year that goes to Indianapolis. The schools see very little of that. That's that's basically what helps run uh, the NCAA. Which again, it's not just this bad, evil empire. They run 88, 89 college championships that are not football, and they do a pretty damn good job of it. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they've done such an awful job with football to the point where these programs want to completely distance themselves from it, and we might be well on our way. We are well on our way to uh, wrapping this up. Again, our thanks to Barrett Jones and everybody for tuning in. This is a good time since we're going to be gone next week. JC's got some vacation. He's going to be surfing, hand gliding, uh, jumping out of airplanes, the typical MacGyver type stuff that we're used to seeing JC do. Yes. Kind of think of Point Break. Think of Keanu Reeves and Point Man, Break. Patrick that's JC on vacation. Dude. Okay, more. I'm sorry, more Swayze. Nah, yeah, that, yeah, the late, the late Patrick Swayze. One of my yeah, the late great. One of my favorite movie characters of all time is Bodie from Point Break. And in fact, my brother named his daughter Bodie. So how about um, that? That's how much the Sherbert family really enjoys and appreciates that. And I think we all collectively, the Sherberts, uh, uh, decided to, you know, collectively barf when they uh, made a remake, uh, that and red dawn, another Patrick Swayze, uh, movie. Well, you're forgetting the best, which is why my next dog will likely be named Dalton. And I'm talking roadhouse. Oh, Pain yeah. Don't hurt. Pain <laughs> don't hurt. Pain Wesley. Don't hurt. <laughs> that is just as I said. I've said there ought to be a category: the best two-star movies of all time. And Roadhouse it leads the way. I'm not sitting here and telling you that this is Citizen Kane. I'm not telling you it's The Godfather. I'm not telling you this is great cinematic art. But damn it, it works. Swayze, a cooler redneck bars in the Midwest, and an evil guy trying to run the entire town. It, <laughs> And and Sam Elliott to boot? Come on. That's the best two-star movie of all time, Roadhouse. Mm, absolutely. No question about it. But how do people uh, listen to this podcast when they're not watching Roadhouse and Point Break on their uh, Point Break on their DVDs? 
Well, I wanted to let people know that those of you that like audio books, um, <laughs> I don't know how many people do here on in, in, in sports or whatever. But yeah, I know we have some truckers that listen to this and truckers sometimes. So anyway, the point about that, eastbound and down, uh, we are on Audible now, which is uh, the Amazon Books on Tape app, right? Uh, so that's another venue where you can check it. Go on Audible, rate us five stars. Uh, also, iHeartRadio. Uh, iTunes slash Apple Pods, Google Play, Spotify, uh, all those places. Anywhere you find podcasts, you can find you, you can pull yourself up to the bar and have yourself a JC and Morgan. There we go. I love it. Uh, podcast number one hundred and forty-one is in the books. JC, enjoy your vacay, and uh, we'll be back in about a week and a half or so for another installment. Who knows? What big landmine story will go off in that interim, but we'll talk about it next time. For J.C. Sherbert, Mike Morgan saying so long for now. Enjoy the rest of your week.